0: This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Today's lesson is titled, Rejoice in Your Circumstances, and that comes from Philippians one 12 through 12-30. But before we start our lesson today, WordTalk, Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift, so won't you do that today? And you can give us your gift by either calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone, or mail us your gift to WordTalk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now your gift, to Word Talk, Inc., is IRS approved at a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense of finding the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Spotify or Google or Amazon or iTunes. We're there too. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. I heard a story one time that really fits the theme of this lesson. A long time ago, there was this survivor of a shipwreck and he washed up on a small uninhibited island and he cried out to God to save him. And every day he scanned the horizon for help, but none came. He managed to build himself this rough hut and he had a few possessions that washed ashore from his shipwreck. But then one day while he was out hunting food He arrived home to find his little hut that he made in flames. The smoke was just rolling up to the sky. And he was so angry. Everything that was left, what little that was, went up in flames with this hut. All that he had been through. How could God do this to him? Early the next day, however, he noticed this ship on the horizon that was coming towards the island. Then the ship finally arrived and the crew came to the island and they rescued him. And he asked the crew, how did you know I was here? And they replied, we were passing by yesterday and we saw your smoke signal. And that's when we turned the ship around and we came to save you. What he didn't realize at the moment was when his hut burnt down and he lost everything that he had, that was actually a blessing in disguise. Let me ask you, have you ever felt like this before? Have you ever felt like nothing was going your way or like everything in your life was working against you? just to discover that God was working through those bad experiences and through those events in your life to bring about something greater in your life. If you have, then you should really be able to relate to what Paul has been going through and what he puts in this letter to the church at Philippi. If you remember last week, we kicked off this study in the book of Philippians. One of the letters that he writes in house arrest in Rome is a letter to the Philippian church at Philippi. In the first 11 verses, we see that he gives thanks to God for the believers in this church and for their incredible faith. And he prays for them daily, that they would continue to grow and to learn and mature in their faith. And now we get to the part of the first chapter or the first part of the letter where he encouraged them and gives them an update. Paul tells them and reassures them that he is personally doing okay. They've heard by now that he is in prison and under house arrest. And Paul wants them to understand that God is using this to spread the love of Jesus Christ to the world and that he is preaching to those that are captive to him. Hopefully, by the end of this lesson today, you'll see that even though Paul is being held back physically from what he feels like God called him to do and go to all the different countries and make disciples and start churches. God was using him in his captivity to spread the good news faster than he could if he had done it on his own. With that said, turn with me to Philippians 1. We'll start in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I hope that when my circumstances get like this, I can be as optimistic as Paul. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, he's talking about being arrested and being chained, he's under house arrest, he says, has really served to advance the gospel. It has really served to move the gospel forward. See, Paul wants them to understand that even though it may look depressing, even though it looks like he's been defeated that God has a better plan and because of God's plan God has put him where he is even though he may not have chose this uh, predicament that he's in God has the ultimate plan and because of it the gospel has been moved forward even to the fact we see in verse 13 that the imperial guard this is the the elite the best of the best these are the warriors that the king picks hand picks to protect him they are the very ones that can change the dynasty of a kingdom. And because God has chosen him to put him in chains and be in house arrest, chained to these imperial guards, he now has had the opportunity to witness to them. And what we need to learn from this is that we need to quit feeling sorry for ourselves because that's where the focus is. And Paul doesn't have that focus. When we feel sorry for ourselves, where's our focus? Our focus is on us. See, I heard one time that there are three kinds of people. There's the pessimist that sees the glass half empty. There's the optimist that sees the glass half full. And then there's the engineer who says that the glass was built two sizes too big. No, in all seriousness, what I want you to understand in the grasp is that we've got to make sure that we have our eyes focused on the right thing like Paul. Instead, most people, when things go wrong in their life, they feel defeated, they f- get depressed, because they're looking at themselves and look at what happened to me. They have a pity party, but that's not Paul. And that shouldn't be us as Christians. Paul has an optimistic view because he understands his identity and he understands whose and whom he belongs to. So as we see these first three verses, we need to make sure that we don't feel sorry for ourselves and that we understand that God is in control. God knows about this. He's not caught off guard, and it's not a surprise to him. Now look what he says in verse 15. Look back at verse 15 with me real quick. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Again, look at the optimistic attitude. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Again, Paul understands that even when people are doing things out of trying to be competitive against Paul, and they're saying things about him that's not true, and they're glad that he's in prison, they're doing it out of selfish ambition, as he says right here. He understands that he's optimistic because he's focusing on and even says even because they do that guess what the gospel moves forward the gospel is being proclaimed 1 John 4:18 tells us there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment the one who fears is not made perfect in love one of God's greatest promises is that no matter what happens to us nothing can separate us from his love and his protection When we build up our spirit with this truth in mind, when we walk in our faith and we build a faith that is mature and strong like Paul right here, we become unshakable. And all of a sudden, people see that the gospel is different and it's proclaimed. And we don't have to go take a Bible and thump people upside the head. People see that we live differently. We walk differently. And all of a sudden, they want to understand and they want to know where our strength comes from. And we're able to tell about God's grace and his love. And we see the boldness that is now happening out of Paul. And he even says that amongst the other people. As I read these verses right here and I look at Paul, it reminds me of a time in my work life where I went after a role and there were other people that went after that same role. And they were trying to build an ambition and they wanted to climb that corporate ladder. And that is good. Ambition is good. It helps us move things forward. But at a point in time that it becomes destructive towards someone else, when we start stepping on people, when we start looking and praising a fall because of something that happened to them, at that point, the ambition is not good. It's not healthy. And that's what happened. There were people that wanted a job so bad that I also was going after they spread some rumors that weren't true. Unfortunately, I didn't get the job, but I lived a life that the people that heard that said, you won't believe what somebody said about you. I know it isn't true because I know how you live your life. And that's what the Bible tells us also, that we're to live a life that even when someone speaks wrongly of you, when someone tells a lie about you, that your lifestyle makes them out a liar. And Paul is living his life out, and he has the right attitude, and we need to understand that we need to have the attitude, we have need to have our focus on God. But he's even saying, look, I know these people are doing it out of the wrong motive. There are some that are doing it out of love, but there, there are a lot more that are doing it out of the wrong motive. But even then, I, I praise God that he is getting the glory, and that people are coming to know the Lord, even if it was done out of the wrong way. And Paul, this isn't new to him. Throughout his ministry, Paul has encountered people who's criticized him. And they're thinking that he thought he was better than them or that he was more important than them. And that may be what they're saying here. The Bible doesn't tell us. You know, they may be saying, who does Paul think he is? He's in prison. He's a criminal. And he thinks he can still tell us what to do. He thinks he's the greatest evangelist, but Aren't we doing just as good a job here, and we're not in jail, so we must be doing something right, and he didn't. And to me, I find this sad. I I find it sad when I find other ministries that compete against one another. We all have the same goal, and that's to see people come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and move the kingdom forward. Even though we have different methods and different styles, why does it have to be a competition? Why do we have to crush the other one? Why can't it be a collaboration? Why can't it work for the greater good? If you look back at verse 7, Paul tells them, For all you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. See, what Paul's telling them back there is that, hey, we're a partnership. We're working together. Why does it have to be a competition? We all want the same thing. We're not in competition with each other. We're partners. And Paul finishes up, we see right here in verse 18, and he says, In every way, whether in pretense or in truth, whether out of envy or out of true love, Christ is proclaimed, and therefore I rejoice in that. While preparing, I found where A.W. Tozer wrote something about rebuking the attitude of competition amongst those in ministry. And he wrote this, Dear Lord, I refuse henceforth to compete with any of thy servants. They have congregations larger than mine. So be it. I rejoice in their success. They have greater gifts. Very well. That is not in their power nor in mine. I am humbly grateful for their greater gifts and my smaller ones. I only pray that I may use thy glory, such modest gifts as I possess, I will not compare myself with any of these, nor build up my self-esteem by noting where I excel in one or the other in thy holy work. I hereby make a blanket disavowal of all intrinsic worth. I am but an unprofitable servant. I gladly go to the foot of the cross and own myself the least of thy people." If I err in my self judgment and actually underestimate myself, I do not want it to be known. I purpose to pray for others and to rejoice in their prosperity as if it were my own. And indeed, it is my own if it is thine own. For what is thine is mine. And while one plants, another waters. We studied about that very comment that A.W. Tozer said in 1 Corinthians 3 7, it says, It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What is important is that God makes the seed grow. In other words, God calls us to be faithful, that we're to do the watering and we're to do the planting. And it doesn't matter who's doing the watering and who's doing the planting. Maybe I water sometimes, maybe I plant other times it doesn't matter who's doing what what matters is that god's seed grows and we see that paul says that right here in verse 18 whether in pretense or in truth christ is proclaimed and in that i rejoice it doesn't matter if i water it doesn't matter if i plant as long as christ is growing and proclaimed then we all win what an attitude he is rejoicing in his circumstances, and he isn't looking at himself. He isn't looking at, woe me. Look at the people trying to step on me while I'm down, that's kicking me while I'm down. Look at the people that are trying to steal my church from me. No, none of that is going on. Paul is pointing to God, and he's, God is focused off him. He's focused on God. So hopefully you've seen that the gospel has been advanced boldly, no matter the circumstance, and that's, that it's done with the right motive. And now I want to look at being bold in your circumstance, just like Paul. So right there in verse 19, look at that with me. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a verse. I mean, I know you probably already had that underlined. Everybody knows that, but that is a great verse to mark. For me to live is Christ or to die is gain. I'm going to go be with the Lord. Verse 22. If I am to live the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire to part and to be with Christ for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is mere necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. See, Paul says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul knows that the Lord was in control. He is in control of all events. Everything is under his dominion. And even though he's in prison, even though he's tied up with shackles and chains, and he's got a trial before Caesar, Nero has made the situation look dark. But it's through your prayers is what Paul says. When Paul says, but through your prayers, he knows that the Philippians are praying for him, just like he's praying for them. And his deliverance from this present situation that he's in is connected to the prayer of the Philippians. When things go wrong, first thing we should do is go to God in prayer. Too many times, that's our last resort instead of our first choice. And Paul is telling them that his deliverance is tied to their connection to prayer, that they pray for him to God. But I want you to understand that Paul's outcome wasn't tied necessarily to their prayer, but through their prayer is what supplied the spirit of Jesus Christ. That's what it tells us. It was through their prayer that He would be encouraged, but we see Paul's faith in verse twenty, where he says, "As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be all ashamed." We see Paul's true trust in God. Paul trusted God first; that in nothing that he would be ashamed. He believed that God would not cause him to be ashamed. Or that God would not turn against him in this matter. That God would be there with him. He was not alone. God plus him was greater than anything he faced. And we need to remember that. No matter what we face, no matter how dark it may look, us plus God is greater than anything we face. Because God is greater than anything we face. We need to speak to what's going on in our life about how big God is. Not speak to God about how big the problem is. And then we see that he says that Christ will be magnified whether I live or die. Paul is, again, telling the Philippian church that, hey, there's a chance that I don't come out of this imprisonment, that I truly die. But as a result, I will be dying martyrdom. I lived a life to preserve and promote God, to glorify Jesus Christ. And if Jesus should one day decide that it is time for me to go be with him through laying down my life then I'm pleased with that. I understand that, and I'm, I'm okay with that. And that if he did die, Paul wants the Philippian church to understand that even if he does die, that it wasn't that man that won. That was God's decision. Just like Paul is trying to get the Philippians to see, we need to understand that it's easy for us to associate God's glory with being delivered from the problem. But sometimes the problem is there so that God gets the glory and that we're just a vessel for Him to get that glory. Sometimes the miracle is not that we're delivered, we're not taken from the problem. The problem may seem to have overcome us, but the way we live through that problem leads other than Christ. It proclaims, it advanced the gospel, just like Paul has done with these imperial guards. So Paul says, For me to live, is Christ. And to die is gain. He says that death for the cause of Christ would glorify Jesus. And that would be a martyrdom. And that would be a gain. But also, if I am here, I'm here to help you grow stronger. Paul talks about the fruitfulness, and he understands that if he's here longer, that he's still going to be fruitful for God, that he's going to tell and preach the gospel, and people are going to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And to him, that was a gain as well. So to die was gain, or for him to stay here and live in the flesh meant that he would be fruitful and God's kingdom would be moved forward. But we also see the honesty of it. Paul is not just preaching something that sounds good, but he says, I'm hard pressed between the two. I know that if I die, that I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. I know that it would be better for me to be there. But I also know if I'm here, I can keep doing what God has called me to do and told me to do on that road to Damascus. And then quickly, Paul challenges the Philippians how they should act in his absence. Look at verse 27 with me real quick. but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Paul challenges them to live a righteous life, whether he's there or not. He tells them that, hey, look, you're going to run into problems and you're going to face trials just like I've done, like you saw me go through and like you hear I'm going through. Jesus even said this in John 16, What did he say? I have said these things to you that you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus tells his disciples as he's getting ready to go to the cross that I'm not going to be around much longer and you're going to have tribulations, but you've got a peace that you can walk around in the world with because I have overcome the world. And through me, by living through me in the Holy Spirit, you can overcome these tribulations. You can overcome the world as well. And Paul is saying the same thing to the Philippian church. He tells them in verse 29 and 30 that you've been granted for the sake of Christ that you believe in him and because of that, you're going to suffer for his sake. You're going to engage in the same conflicts that you saw that I have and that you hear that I'm going through right now it is because of Christ that I'm facing this. We're lucky enough to live in a time and a place here in the U.S. where we don't have to worry about losing our life for the name of Christ. But I wonder how many Christians listening to me today that are sitting in a church on a Sunday would be willing to die like Paul is, would say, for me to die is gain and to live is gain also. I wonder how many would keep standing like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did and said, we won't bow. We will not do it, Nebuchadnezzar. Throw us in the fiery furnace. Even if our God doesn't save us, we will not bow. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought real quick. If there's one thing in the scripture we don't want to consider, but the scripture repeats over and over, is the idea that we must suffer for the sake of Christ. Suffering is something that we must endure. Suffering is something we can't avoid. It is something that's going to happen that has been told and promised to us. And right here, as Paul wraps up this section of scripture, he reminds us that we are going to suffer. It's been granted to us that we are required to make a stand. And when we make that stand, we are going to suffer. In one of my leadership class, they said, think of people who you really admire. Not just a personal friend, not just some person in history, but people that you regard as a great leader or an example of a great leader. And then he said, I'm willing to bet that many of them, if not all of them, went through some kind of tragedy in their life that molded them into the people that they became. Why? Because no one admires a man who sits comfortably in his chair, flipping through the channels on his TV. We respect and honor hard work. We respect sacrifice and endurance and, yes, even suffering. And the Bible promises us that if we make a stand for him, that we are going to face some suffering. And that makes us bolder, that strengthens us, that makes us able to endure more, makes our faith stronger. So what kind of person do you want to become? Suffering may be the key to becoming that kind of person. In 1 Timothy, Paul wrote to young Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the external life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So I finish with this final question to you. What are you ready to give up or sacrifice for the kingdom of God? Are you willing to take suffering to move the kingdom forward? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for this book that Paul was inspired to write. Lord, we know that you are sovereign and that everything is under your control. Lord, we know in this situation, things look dark, but Paul shows us how we're to respond no matter the circumstance. Lord, we see that Paul was willing to rejoice in his circumstance. And Lord, I pray today that we all can be more like Paul through the strength of your Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord, let us walk in your strength and not in our own flesh. Lord, I pray today for the one that showed up today and maybe they're defeated. Maybe they had a conversation with the doctor and they got some news they didn't want to hear. Maybe they're facing financial situations that seem that there's no way out. Maybe there's a loved one that's walked out the door, told them that they don't love them anymore, or they want a divorce. Lord, maybe there's children that aren't acting the way that they thought they raised them up in. Whatever they're facing today, Lord, I pray today that you would just help them understand to look to you. Lord, that you should be our first choice, not our last resort. Lord, that we should rejoice in our circumstance and that give praise to you And by giving that praise to you, those around us will see a different response than that of the world and want to know more about you, that we can spread the gospel without ever taking a Bible and hitting somebody upside the head. Lord, I pray today that that person that showed up today, Lord, that you will just comfort them, that they will have the peace and understand that you have overcome the world. Or maybe there's one that doesn't know you today. Lord, I pray today that they would make you Lord of their life. That they would pray, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I need you to come into my life. Lord, I need you to save me. Without your salvation, I can't stand before God. I I face an eternity in hell. But Lord, I believe on your finished work on the cross that you came over the sin chasm. You cover that. You are the bridge that covers the chasm between me and God. Lord, I pray today that you will come into my life, Lord, that you will wash me white as snow through your blood and your finished work on the cross. And because you came over, overcame death, that I can overcome death as I transition to the next part of my life, whenever that is. Lord, I will chase after you. I'll make you, Lord, and I'll follow after your commandments. Lord, we just thank you for the blessings you send this ministry. Lord, I pray that your financial blessings will continue from those that hear these words. And Lord, they will honor your request, and they will help bless this ministry. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.